Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of this replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. How important is sleep? Do we get enough of it? And what happens if we don't? Are there negative consequences to our health? Well, today I am going to be speaking with Dr. Janet Myers. She is a sleep specialist at Kaiser Permanente right here in Honolulu. And we're going to be talking about what is the importance of getting good rest and how do you know if you're not getting enough rest and what you can do about it. So thank you for joining me today on The Body Show, Dr. Myers. Hi, thank you for having me. Now, you know, I love sleep, hopefully just as much as the next person. And sometimes I get good sleep and sometimes maybe not so good sleep. And I can usually figure out why. But what is the importance of sleep? Why, why do we sleep? And, and what happens if we don't get enough? Oh, my goodness. Where to start with that question? There's so much to it. Um, why do we sleep? I, I think that is one of the most difficult questions to answer because there's so many things that sleep is important to in our bodies, not just for getting rest and um, re-energizing for the next day and helping us stay alert, but also to help with maintaining our immune system, helping our bodies regulate, for example, um, blood pressure and diabetes, uh, has so many effects far-reaching beyond just closing your eyes and going to bed at the end of the day. Now, what are the symptoms if you don't get good sleep? Well, I think there's a variety of symptoms. One of the most um, obvious ones, I think, for most people is they're just sleepy, very sleepy during the day. Um, it can be very severe to the point where it can affect work or even um, ability to do things like drive. So sleepy driving has been shown to be um, as uh, dangerous, perhaps, as uh, drinking uh, alcohol. So um, can be dangerous not just for you but for those around you. Um, other things that can happen when you don't get enough sleep, um, it can affect your mood, um, can affect your um, your overall physical health. Uh, as I said, diabetes, but also high blood pressure, which can lead to things like strokes and heart attacks. How would someone know, other than just you know maybe being tired, that they weren't getting good enough sleep? I think when when people don't get good enough sleep, they often will tell you they wake up the next day and they just don't feel refreshed. Or when they go to bed, they find themselves waking up every few hours, every couple of hours to get up or just lay in bed awake, um, not even able to fall asleep. Um, in the daytime, it, it might be that their family or their spouse tells them that they're irritable uh, or that um, they might have some memory issues, um, just a, a variety of things that they can see. So it might be other people around you. You know, you might think, hey, I'm fine. But, you know, if you find yourself kind of being in a situation where you're just on edge and your family says, hey, what's going on with you? It might be other people around you that also notice it, maybe snoring, but maybe more than that. You know, there could be some other situations where, Someone might say, hey, how come every time you sit down, you fall right asleep? It seems like maybe you're not getting enough when you're laying in bed that evening. Exactly. That's exactly spot on. Um, snoring is one of those uh, things that can affect your bed partner, and they, 
um, might might even be the first one to point it out to your physician when you may you may say, "Oh, I feel fine," and then their 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 partner uh, will tell them, "Oh no, your sleep is terrible at night." So. Now, what should you do if you have a loved one that you say, you know, I'm noticing that they're snoring a lot or they're not getting restful sleep? What what sort of testing or what can be done about that? I mean, if you identify that there might be something with their actual sleep process, how would that be treated? How do you how do you trigger figure that out? Well, I think one of the first things that you can do is talk with talk with them about um, speaking with their physician or their health care provider and letting them know I'm having difficulty sleeping or my spouse tells me I snore a lot. And then that in the context of your, uh, your overall health and physical exam, they might say, oh, I think you need a sleep study. Um, and that could be one of the first things um, that they say uh, you can do. Um, that's just one of the testings that you, that you can do, but you can also look at your sleep habits and uh, things like um, how much sleep are you getting every night? Maybe you're limiting yourself. We tell everyone to try and get seven to nine hours every night, eight being uh, about optimal, but at least seven. Um, It's been shown that people that get less than that um, have uh, decreased uh, overall health um, and maybe even decreased mortality over a lifespan. Um, When People come and do their testing. There's so many different options that they can uh, try, both in lab and out of the uh, in the sleep lab, um, uh, and then out, outside of the sleep lab, where they can get a device at home that will measure their sleep, and then they can find out whether or not they're having um, issues at night with their breathing and their oxygen levels, for example. All right. Well, there's lots that we could all figure out, and I know some of my bad sleep habits. I'll confess in just a moment. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. And I'm talking with Dr. Janet Myers, and she is a sleep specialist at Kaiser Permanente. When we come back, we're going to talk about what is sleep hygiene and how do you know if maybe you don't have good patterns before you go to bed. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Ulupono Initiative. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and today we're talking about sleep. When you go to bed, do you, hmm, do you look at your phone? Do you scroll through your social media or check your email before you go to bed? Are you watching TV on your phone? And I say that with all the judgment of knowing I do all three of those things. And according to Dr. Janet Myers, sleep specialist at Kaiser Permanente, those are all bad habits I need to stop. Dr. Myers, but how? How can I do that? It's not so easy to break up with my phone. Right. (laughs) I think um, one of the first things that you can do is leave it outside the bedroom so there's not the opportunity to pick it up and start looking at it. I, I know some patients, uh, the first thing they do when they feel that they can't fall asleep is they, they get up, they'll pick up their phone, they'll start scrolling through that. Um, so I would, I would get electronic devices out of, out of the bedroom or at least far away from the bed where you can't, can't reach them. That might help um, with my snooze button issue oh, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, even television too. I, I tell people to please keep the TV up out of the bedroom. It's not just the smart smartphones or the computers. It's also the television. 
So be careful with, with what I call visual input. You know, if you're putting any kind of light source to your eye, it's going to potentially make you feel like it's time to stay awake. So be careful with what you're exposing yourself to. Read a book if you really feel you need to wind down a little bit. Now, you mentioned sleep studies, and traditionally, those used to have to be in a lab. And I remember years ago, some of my patients telling me, but I can't fall asleep there. It doesn't mimic what I do at home. These days, there's some ways you can do home sleep studies that give you some fairly good information based on your circumstances about whether or not maybe you you have some issues. Is that right? That's absolutely correct. Yes, there's a a variety of different kinds of sleep devices that are on the market today. The one we use at Kaiser right now, you can have it actually mailed to you. You don't even need to come into the lab to pick it up, Um, although that's an option too. Um, But we can mail it to your house. Um, You can set it up, and with a phone call, we can help you, guide you through the process of um, getting the device set up so that it will transmit the data to us after you've had your night of sleep, and we can tell you within uh, a couple of days whether or not you have sleep apnea or not. We can get the diagnosis very quickly back to your provider who ordered the study. And that becomes another issue. So there's bad sleep habits, and I raise my hand to that one. And then there's also serious medical conditions like sleep apnea. We've heard a lot about that. Sometimes people know that it could be, quote, snoring at night, but it's a lot more than just snoring. How would you define sleep apnea? So sleep apnea is uh, basically when the airway, um, whether your nose, back of your nose, back of your throat, where it it closes down when you're relaxed and asleep. And when it's closed and air can't flow through, we call that an obstruction. And as you can imagine, that limits the ability of oxygen to get into your body so you can um, get oxygen to important uh, body functions like your brain, your heart, your kidneys. So um, getting that back open with different therapies is super important. Well, and the consequences, if you don't, you've alluded to earlier with conditions like diabetes. You know, if your body's in this constant low oxygen stress mode and you don't get that restorative sleep you need, it'll help your, your body will start to release cortisol and adrenaline, hormones that will increase your blood sugar. It could also increase your blood pressure. It could make you feel on edge. So some of those effects could have negative consequences, not even long-term. They could have negative consequences the next day if you're not careful. You mentioned driving earlier and a couple of other potential activities that could be impaired. When somebody has something like this obstructive sleep apnea, the idea on treating it generally is to do something to help keep that area open. What are some of the options that people have to not to treat obstructive sleep apnea and not necessarily have this consequence continue to affect their health? Sure. So so the the immediate things that you could do um, would be very simple. You can sleep on your side. That may not work for everyone, but it certainly helps in some patients to help decrease the level of the obstruction. Um, Most people uh, with more severe sleep apnea often need um, therapies to open up the passage, such as a a, a continuous positive airway pressure device. It's a device that blows a gentle stream of air um, using a mask over your nose or your mouth or both. It will it will um, 
open up the airway by creating a splint, allowing you to breathe more naturally. So that's just one of, one of the options. Um, there are others. Um, some people can use what's called an oral appliance, and it's a device where you, you put a mouthpiece in that helps pull your lower jaw forward, opening up the airway uh, as well. And then there are some folks who might be candidates for surgical therapies. For example, if they have very large tonsils, um, some patients might be able to have those removed or have um, surgery to the back of the throat to help open things up. But the gold, uh, gold standard therapy um, for many patients is, is that CPAP or the positive airway pressure device. Of course, losing weight is always helpful. For example, if you have someone who's um, uh, very heavy, um, that certainly affects the severity of sleep apnea. So it could go from something like sleeping on your side, working on weight loss, all the way towards wearing a device like CPAP or that that other oral device you talked about, or even surgery. So this is a serious enough condition that people have a variety of options, but it sounds like you really ought to treat that. You can't just let this kind of go. You've got to make sure that you're on it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think many people underestimate the importance of good sleep and treatment if you find something like sleep apnea, um, treatment for that. Because they're asleep, they don't think it affects the day. But um, it, actually, the opposite is true. For people with severe sleep apnea, it affects nearly every aspect of the daytime. It, as I said before, it's one-third of your, your life that you spend sleeping. Um, it's important to try and make that time um, count, you know. Well, and I think there's also, you mentioned earlier that you could even have a home test kit mailed to your house. There's now actually ways that you can start using a home oxygenation pressure device, call it a home CPAP almost, that would actually be automatically adjustable to what your needs are. So if you fear sleeping in a lab, there are some ways you can you can alleviate that fear by choosing other methods of treatment as well. Is that right? That's true. The devices that they have now are, are getting more advanced um, every year. There's always improvements made to these um, positive airway pressure devices. And there is um, uh, uh, technology where the machine will actually uh, sense when there's an obstruction and increase the pressure as needed to open the airway um, until you're able to get that flow and keep your, your oxygen moving, get, get the air moving again. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come right right back, we're going to continue our discussion with Dr. Janet Myers about what are some of the other conditions that can be affected by not getting adequate sleep. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Honolulu Waldorf School. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and I have Dr. Janet Myers on the line from Kaiser Permanente. She's a sleep specialist, and we're talking about the consequences of not getting good sleep. Now, sometimes you might feel like you fall asleep very easily during the day, and it has to do with the fact that you're not getting good sleep at night. We've talked a little bit about obstructive sleep apnea. There's another condition that I'm curious about, Dr. Myers, that sometimes goes unrecognized but may be mistaken because people think it's related to just the nighttime habits. 
How does obstructive sleep apnea differ from something like narcolepsy? Oh, that's a that's a very good question. So, patients who have narcolepsy are uh, very sleepy. So it can be similar to obstructive sleep apnea, um, but patients with narcolepsy have some other um, processes going on where they they within a moment's notice can fall asleep suddenly, and it's um, where the dream state uh, uh, suddenly appears, even during what should normally be a wakeful time. Um, So people will appear to uh, suddenly fall asleep uh, for no reason, and and that is quite different than sleep apnea because it's not really a process where um, you have uh, obstruction of the airway. Um, Narcoleptics uh, typically don't have that uh, obstructive airway um, problem, and, and treating them for that doesn't necessarily um, cause them to be more awake. Although there are some narcoleptics who do have sleep apnea, it is a very different disease. So just because you're sleepy during the day, it means that you probably have to make sure that you see your provider and you get the correct diagnosis, because like you mentioned, treating one may not necessarily treat the other condition. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a very, very good point. How often do you see or do you think uh, people have been diagnosed with narcolepsy versus sleep apnea? In my practice, I see a lot more sleep apnea candidates and very few patients who might meet the criteria for narcolepsy. Is that pretty consistent in the general population? That's very, very consistent. Narcolepsy is uh, a very, it's an uncommon disorder. Um, uh, Obstructive sleep apnea um, affects many, many more people. Um, as many as 2 to 9% of the population, in some studies, as many as 30%. And of those, um, more than you know, 50 to 80% go undiagnosed. Um, narcoleptics, similarly, can go undiagnosed for many years, but it's a different pattern of sleepiness that they have. Uh, so uh, when you have someone who doesn't fit the typical pattern, you know, typical patient for obstructive sleep apnea, um, and they're very sleepy, of course, um, narcolepsy is certainly one of the things that their their uh, healthcare provider will think about. Well, and as you mentioned, the treatment is completely varied. When you think about using appliances or devices to help keep your airway open when you're sleeping, versus you know other types of stimulants or other things that can help with folks who have narcolepsy. Are there any other sleep-related disorders that are associated with just feeling quote tired during the day, but might not necessarily have the same features that we would need to consider for sleep apnea or narcolepsy? Yes. So uh, there's a whole uh, uh, category we call hypersomnia, where they don't have sleep apnea when you test them uh, with a sleep, uh, a sleep study, and they don't have narcolepsy when you, when you test them with a daytime study looking for evidence of increased sleepiness. Um, but they are sleepy, um, in that group of patients, we, we call them idiopathic hypersomnia. We, we just don't know why they're, why they're so sleepy. Um, there are medications uh, that we will sometimes try to use in those folks to help them stay awake. It can be very debilitating. So it's important if you have, if you have a hard time staying awake and you're very sleepy, um, don't fear talking with your physician about you know, what the options are. It's, it's important to try and get the diagnosis right. Now, you mentioned hypersomnia. How common is the opposite of that, insomnia? Oh, my goodness. 
So in the in the sleep world, the two the two um, processes we talk about it's you're either too sleepy or or you can't fall asleep. So of the patients who are um, referred to the sleep clinic, for example, um, some of them their complaint is they just cannot fall asleep at night. Sometimes it can be due to something like sleep apnea, but um, other times uh, it can be a drug effect, um, you know, medication side effect, or it can be um, uh, an issue with the timing of their sleep when they they want to fall asleep but they can't because their body wants to stay awake. Um, but then they might fall asleep much later in the evening and then sleep through the day. We call those um, disorders of uh, the circadian rhythm or the, the timing, the timing of their sleep. Uh, we see that a lot in uh, adolescents, for example, staying up late and wanting to sleep in a long time. So, yeah. yeah schools never uh, seem to be that sympathetic for that. Yeah. yeah. So it, you mentioned with the youth. Yeah, it's, it's, I wish you could always, I wish I could have started high school at like 10 a.m. That would have made life so much easier than the usual 6 or 7 a.m. that everything seemed to start. So for people who who are having trouble either not being able to sleep or sleeping and not feeling restored or feeling like they're just tired all the time, it sounds like the first step has to be make sure you're following a careful routine. And if you don't feel as though you're getting the restorative effects you need, time to talk to your provider. When should they see a sleep specialist? I think um, if you have tried to maintain a schedule, you go, to the, you go to bed at the same time, you try to wake up at the same time the next morning, um, not just during the week but also on the weekends, um, you eliminate things like nicotine and caffeine, which can affect the quality of your sleep and limit uh, alcohol, uh, which also can impact your, your sleep. And, and then, of course, uh, try to keep your environment very sleep-inducing, calm and cool and dark and quiet, um, and keep the, the iPhones and the smartphones out of, out of the um, sleeping area. Um, I think if you've tried to do those things and tried to keep your sleep hygiene uh, pretty good, then maybe it's, it's time to talk with your doctor. Um, and then... I think another part of the, the sleep hygiene and, and insomnia that, uh, that people don't give enough attention to is uh, managing your worries. So if you have a lot of concerns that are keeping you up at night, you might try writing them down and just putting it to the side, knowing that you can think about it the next day when you're awake, but try not to sleep sleep on it, so to speak, and um, try not to do that if you've got something that's worrying you. Write it down and keep your mind clear and try to, to uh, calm yourself and calm your brain as you go to, go to bed. But if, if you've tried all these things, it's not working, uh, or, and, and or someone's telling you that you snore a lot uh, or you stop breathing at night, for, for sure go and talk with your, your health care provider. Boy, you've taken us through the whole gamut from sleeping and not feeling well to not sleeping at all and some great suggestions on what we should do no matter what the circumstance might be and no matter what the situation is. I really appreciate your sharing your expertise with us here on The Body Show today and for explaining the mysteries of sleep. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org, follow the links to The Body Show. You can also find us on the HPR app. 
Our engineer is David Chong. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. And we will see you next week when we talk right here about health, right here on The Body Show. We'll see you then.